1: Dr. Pichet.. Dr. Doreen Dr. Doreen Pichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning. I was just rocking out to the boppy little music book. Uh, <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod. And as you can see, my fabulous guest this morning for Ask Dr. Doreen is, in fact, Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampiche is in the house, and we love having her here. For those of you who don't know her, I'm so glad you're here because you get to know her, and she's a true expert in the field of autism. She donates this time every week when she can to be able to answer your questions from wherever they come around the world. And, you know, you can ask for a pretty wide array of questions because not only... She is expert in the field of autism, but she is a champion for individuals who are on the autism spectrum for the world to look at them and see them as ent- whole human beings that, you know, sometimes have medical problems or have biomedical problems or, you know, issues that that are wide ranging, right? So you can pretty much ask about anything and she's a wealth of knowledge. We do tell you that at the start of the show, there is no expert in any field, let alone this field, who could give individual specific advice, right? Because that would be a disservice to the individuals on the spectrum. You know, you'd really need to have time to sit, meet, talk uh, to give individual specific advice. But having said that, you guys have gotten very good at writing very specific things so that you can learn from the knowledge that she's had from over I, I, it's like, I have a mental block for how many years you've been in this field because I don't mm-hmm. believe it. Uh, cause you don't look like you could be old enough to have had that many years of experience at anything. Um, but it's, it's a lot of years.
0: It's a lot of years. Well, it's, yeah, it's 78, 1978 is when I met my first child with autism.
1: So that's, I can't even do the math. I thought, uh, it's, it's a 30, lot of years. It's yeah. It's over forty years now. So I can't. I can't even. Uh, <laughs> you don't. You don't look forty. So how can you have forty years of experience? But in?
0: honestly, the thing, Shannon, is that I don't even like. It feels like it was yesterday. You know, like yeah. But then, when you think of all the children and all the families over the years, and I love doing this with my dear dear Evelyn Kahn because she and I have spent many of those forty years together, right like Evelyn joined me in nineteen ninety so all of my u c l a years before card, I was kind of I don't have others to share memories with I did until my dear friend you know Dr. Tristram Smith passed away but um, but after that, you know, I, from the, almost the beginning of my, I founded CARD in 1990 and then Evelyn joined me, I believe in, I want to say 90, uh,
1: maybe three. So, yeah. You've been, you've been in this field for a long time. And, and what's great about that, you guys, is that she's seen a wealth of different circumstances. Uh, so. I have
0: learned so much from the different families. So part of the joy that i get from this show shannon is learning uh what's going on with the families now and i learn so much from the families it's much more than than what you learn in school you know
1: yeah Uh, well and we appreciate that you're willing to share back and and so we thank you for the time that you give to people, individuals, and families who write in in this format. I want to give people an idea of how you can write in to get your question answered. Obviously, we can't answer all of them in the time that we have allotted, but there are a couple of different ways that you can submit your question. We have a live feature on our homepage, autism-live.com, and usually I get the starter questions there, but we are also live right now on several different platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as well as being live on our homepage, autism-live.com. So Um has already said hello to us. Hello uh, to you as well. And that's a way that you can, if you want to give us a shout out, uh, if you want to tell us what part of the world you're in, we love that on any one of those platforms that I just mentioned you can write in right now and we'll be able to see that. But Traven is showing you a bunch of other places that we are live as well. Those are a little bit harder to submit your questions in real time. But for those of you who watch us recorded in podcast, and most of you do, let's be honest about that, most of our viewers watch us not when we are live. We really love it when you write in too. And one of the ways that you can do it is you can do it on our website, autism-live.com. There is a chat at the bottom, but you can also email me directly. That's a direct way. And if you want to write something longer, you can send that directly to me. S.Henrod at autism-live.com. I'm saying hello. I got to move my screen over a little bit because my, uh, it's just funky today. I don't know why. I'm saying hello to Parker and Mary Kathy. So uh, glad to have you guys here. Uh, Parker has said, here's a question. Hope it's a good one. One of my favorite restaurants is closing soon permanently. I'm handling the change well, but how can I handle it better? I want this to help everyone. Well, I I love that question, Dr. Grampy because it's about change. And I think we all struggle with change and, you know, think about all the stuff that has happened in the last year and a half and all the things that have changed and are going to change again. I think everybody's struggling with this a little bit, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a really smart
0: question, Parker, because one of the things people don't really realize is that the number one cause of anxiety and depression is change. Change is actually considered to be one of the big factors that we evaluate whenever uh, we see someone who comes in and says, I have a lot of depression. I I have serious depression going on or I have serious anxiety going on. The first question is what in your environment has changed? Because we have as human beings such a difficult time with change. And I think it's important to understand why that is when something changes we kind of feel insecure a little bit because it um we've lost a little bit of control over our environment and that's sort of the same thing that's going on right now of course it's like you know one day you are told okay you need you can you can't go into restaurants you can sit outside but you have to wear masks and that's a new rule right and then you adjust to that rule because it wasn't a rule you were familiar with before and then once you've adjusted then it changes again and it'll be like no I don't know if some of our viewers might know a lot of places now especially on the east coast um and, and actually in northern Cal too I haven't experienced it in Los Angeles but Uh, I'm just about to go to San Francisco this week. And I know in New York, I've had this experience as well, where even a restaurant, when you enter, you have to show proof of vaccination, Mm -hmm. which is a change, right? It's a new thing. And I agree with you, Parker. I drive down the streets and sometimes I see a lot of restaurants that are my favorite place that I loved and they're gone, they're closed. So, uh, you know, you're handling it well, that's great. Um, I think just mentally, the way to handle this is that just reminding yourself that not all change is bad. Just reminding yourself that change is a little scary just because it's new and we're not used to it and it's someone else made it happen. We didn't make it happen. So it feels like things are out of control, but they're not. And something better might come. A lot of times change leads to better things and i i always remind myself of that because you know a lot of times in life and this is a good uh, experience or a good experiment at all times when something changes and you are sad about it if you later on look back a lot of times you'll be able to look back and say wow It was really hard when it happened, but I'm so glad it happened because so many good things happened after that. So, you you know, I'm a very strong believer that the universe is perfect, which basically means that anything that happens, even though it may seem imperfect to me or uh, scary or um, unpredictable or negative in some way, um, it, it is what's meant to be. And that it will uh, help me grow and it'll help me learn and it'll be much better for all the people who are involved in it. So I guess those are just some things that might help you whenever you feel kind of, uh, you know, uh, scared or maybe insecure or a little bit just uh, annoyed with all of the
1: change. It's funny, as you were saying that, I was thinking about for a lot of the families that are, for instance, doing ABA, and a therapist comes in the door and you oh, yeah. you make a connection and it feels like no one else is ever going to be able to have that connection again. And uh, because of the nature of the business of ABA, mm-hmm. those people transition out. Right. And I think for a lot of the caregivers, they can relate to this because when your favorite therapist announces that they're going to go to Australia to be an au pair, <laughs> which was one of the things that happened to me. Yes. Uh, although my favorite therapist announced that he was going to go Dubai for two years, right? Yes. And I think everybody thought that I was going to lay on the tarmac and not let him go. Um, I didn't because I had learned by that point that, you know, that ideally there has to be change and that people cycle in and off of your child's program so that they can learn from a wide variety of people so they can deal with a wide variety of people. But. um you know the thing that i always remind families when they're telling me mournfully they're like shannon you don't understand i can't live without this person And i always I know. go yes we are cut from the same bolt of cloth mm-hmm. i felt that way once too yeah. but here's the thing that there was a day when that person was not a part of your life yep. and so someone else may walk in the door that you go oh this person is so amazing and that there's room for all of that um and and I I know I have found that to be true. And anybody who does ABA for any period of time, I think eventually goes, okay, I have to have my feelings about being sad that this person isn't gonna be part of our day-to-day team right now, but I gotta make room for more people and that more great things can happen. And I think it's very similar to what you were saying, Dr. Grabuchier, that the restaurant that takes the place of your favorite restaurant, as hard as it may seem may turn out to be your new favorite restaurant, or there might be something across the street that opens. Um, and that being no. open to see what what is coming next. That's it's right. It's a powerful lesson in life to learn.
0: It's a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful lesson, Shannon. And I don't remember when I first kind of uh, took this in, I think it was in the early 2000s, but it has changed the way I live. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever something happens that is disturbing instead of like thinking oh my gosh how am I going to cope with this I just immediately remind myself that it's a gift and that some either there's something in it for me you know and it might be difficult but it's going to be either a lesson or a wonderful experience or it's going to lead to a wonderful experience you know and these are the journeys, and we are just the type of, you know, human beings are the type of uh, being that likes to be um, safe. Yeah. And so change makes us feel in, insecure and unsafe. But it's, uh, I'm, you know, one of the things that I'm sure you agree in life is just overcoming fear, right? And experiencing uh, the future and going forward and seeing what's next. And it's, it's such a wonderful journey to do that. I mean, you talk about I know you're talking about Peter as an example, but if you think about all the people who came after Peter, and not just how you adjusted to the to it, but what they brought to Jem's life, yes. you know, amazing. And, and and the security you would have felt if Peter had been with you forever, but what would have been missing from Jem's life if those other yeah. others had
1: not come? You know, it's it's incredible when you look back. Yeah. And what was wonderful was it was Peter who imparted that to me. It was yes. Peter who said to me, you didn't bring him to CARD. You didn't bring him here for him to learn how to manage the world with me. Yes. You brought him here to learn how to manage the world. And that means he needs to be exposed to more people than me. Because yes. I'm, not, I'm not gonna be there with him side by side right. um, for the rest of his life. Although that would have been good too. But, <laughs> but he was right. And, oh, he and was he there out. recently,
0: wasn't he, at graduation?
1: Yes, he? He went with us to graduation. So uh, yes, uh, but, you know, and I keep telling him it's his job to teach him how to drive. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, you know, uh, anyway, uh, all right. Uh, Mary Cathy has written in and said, hello. Oh, did I do something that made you small? I don't know if that was me, Traven, that did that. Let me see. I don't know what happened. There we go. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm pushing buttons and I don't know what's happening today. Uh, Mary Cathy has written in and said, hello, I'm a behavior therapist. Can you uh, talk about screening? Can, uh, and I th- I think the sentence here is, can it be sensory or automatic reinforcement? Because there's no reason for that. So can you talk about that at all?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. And it's, I love talking with behavior therapists, Yeah. Obviously. But also, not just because they already have uh you know brought in some suggested functions of a behavior but also because it helps to talk to to kind of open the world a lot my my mission is to kinda of, to help behavior therapists see outside of the world of behavior therapy and so um yes, Mary kathy, it's possible that and and for the for our viewers, there are essentially when, as a behaviorist, when a behavior occurs, you try to identify, uh, why it's occurring. What is the reason that it's occurring? And, and, and the behavioral lingo, we call that, um, the
1: function of the behavior. And, uh, can I, can I just squeeze in here? Cause I know you guys know this, say, but yeah. we don't, is that what's, what you guys have taught me is that there's always a reason why. There yeah. is no random behavior that we look at things our kids do and we go, that's just the autism, that's just random, but you guys say no, there's a function there.
0: Yes, that's right. And what Mary is asking is is are is it an automatic function or a sensory function? And I want to explain what those are. Sensory function is basically it is satisfying some sort of sensory need, which you know falls under the automatic. Uh, category of functions so let's say the child needs to is is craving uh, hearing that sound and therefore they scream in order to produce a sound that they want to hear you know so there's lots of different things like a lot of our kids who spit they're not spitting because they have any animosity they're spitting because they actually want to see the spit uh, fall and it's a visual sensory experience for them. So um, in this case, and, and it could very well, Mary Kathy, it could be an automatic uh, function, which means there's something about screaming that is satisfactory to the child, and we don't know because it's serving some automatically reinforcing function for the child. But keep in mind that it could also be communication. So the child could also be either communicating pain or they could be communicating frustration, uh, annoyance, uh, anything like that. So, uh, and of course, it could also be uh, a, an attention function, which means when they have screamed, others have attended to the screaming by saying, hey, stop screaming, or what are you doing? Or why are you screaming? That hurts my ears. And all of those types of things cause uh, the behavior to increase as well. Uh, Let's not forget that negative attention is is just as powerful as positive attention. So, you know, with the screaming, I'm afraid I have to say that it could be a multitude of things, it could be automatic, it could be attention based, and uh, it could also be more than that, which means it could be a communication of pain or some other uh, issue that's going
1: on with the child so what do you do if you're the if you're the behavior therapist and this is and the screaming is happening from and let's talk about it from a couple of people's point of view but if you're a behavior therapist that's working with kids on the spectrum and your child is screaming what do you do
0: so there's uh, the the behavior therapist will do what's called an fba which is a functional behavior assessment so they will look at all situations where the child is screaming and they'll figure out what happened before it and what's happening after it. And the reason they do that is because what happens before it, for instance, uh, someone asks the child to do something and the child screams, well in that case it would become very obvious that the child is basically trying to avoid or escape a situation. Um, or. Nothing is happening right before it, but the child screams and then someone comes over and says, hey, why are you screaming? That would make it very obvious that it's an attention function because the child screams in order to get attention. So you find out kind of what the function is. And with each of those functions, there's a different series of behaviors or or treatments that you do uh, in all cases. The, the I guess the bottom line, just to summarize, because there are many functions and many different interventions per function, but to summarize, the idea is that you do not allow a challenging behavior to get the desired response. Instead, you teach the child a, le- a more adaptive behavior in order to gain the appropriate response. Let's say the child screams in order to get attention. In that case, you want to make sure you do not give attention when the child screams, but rather you teach the child some other way of communicating appropriately in order to get attention, like saying, you know, hello, I I need attention here, or just handing you a card that says, come play with me, or whatever it is. Let's say a child uh, screams in order to escape a demand. You do not let the child scream in order to avoid a demand, uh, in other words, if they're in classroom and they scream, unfortunately, you've got to keep them there. But if they uh, want to leave the classroom, you teach them a more adaptive way of leaving the classroom. So it's, it's a lot, but it's, it's, you know, basic. It's like, do not let the child use screaming as a form of getting what they want or as a form of communicating. Now, if it is pain that we're talking about and the child is screaming because they have pain, again, you want to make sure that you are helping the child and this is one of the most important things a lot of our a lot of times our kids and even when we talk about sensory or when we talk about automatic functions to me even within the realm of automatic functions there's always some reason. so let's say the child has a sensory need to scream well find him something else that gives him that sensory pleasure so he doesn't continue doing the screaming let's say, Maybe he can wear uh, noise-reducing headf- noise, uh, headphones, like those headphones and hear sounds that are going to give him the same stimulation he would need, the screaming will go away. Let's say he is communicating pain, as I said, teach him a different way to communicate pain. Uh, there's always things you can do to help the child's behavior be more acceptable to, to in
1: society. Yeah. There's a lot of fine points within that. Um, and we've yeah. done lots of videos on it, uh, but hopefully yeah. that will be helpful to you. we got a lot of questions coming in and some that I wanna get to that came in last mm-hmm. night. Um, but I wanna get to this one. Uh, oh dear.
0: I There's so many coming, coming in, right? I
1: know. My daughter is currently in a class for autism and dyslexia formality, and her professor is playing videos on how uh, to work, uh, how these work. His suggestion is a sensory room, for the classroom. But if you have an autistic student mainstreamed with 30 other students, what can a teacher do to help that one? It's interesting. I had somebody call me with exactly that the other day.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. I, it depends on what you need out of the sensory room, because always there, it is possible that someone can always take the child to another part of the school, whether it's outside, if the sensory room is needed for calming down, there are lots of other environments that could be used for that. Uh, For instance, the library when kids are in class is usually very, very quiet. Uh, Maybe there's a nice area outside which is calming. There's other things that could be done to, to kind of, Help with that. It really depends on the sensory needs and exactly what you're looking for. But if I were you, I would put that on the school and I would force them kind of like persist in pushing them
1: to find a solution for you. I think we've lost your voice. No, I muted myself and then I pushed the wrong button again. I'm doing really well with the buttons today. Forgive me, I'm a work in progress. Uh, I also wanna encourage you, cause I'm not sure whether you're saying that your daughter is in a class to learn how to be a teacher or she's in a classroom and she is the student and the professor is recommending. But either way, I'm gonna say to you that as a former teacher, I love Pinterest. And Pinterest is full of amazing ideas. And there's a whole section of Pinterest that shows you how to, how to set up a sensory room within a classroom, depending on the age, like when it's kindergarten, it's, you know, it's a little hut. And when it's fifth grade, it's a reading nook. And, you know, so I, I want to encourage you to look at Pinterest and get ideas because teachers are on Pinterest and teachers are sharing what they're doing. That's working on Pinterest. So check it out. It's free. Um, uh, Pinterest should pay me because I say nice things about them. them. (laughs) Um, And by the way, Autism Live has a Pinterest board too. And whenever, like in COVID, we put a whole bunch of things that you could do with your kids, kiddos at home on our Pinterest board. So there you go. I love Jennifer's question, uh, but it's got a lot of asterisks in it. So how do we know when it's time for ABA to be over, over? My six year old has mastered almost all of the VB map testing. And we are talking about graduating her from ABA, but I'm afraid of that change. As you just discussed, our BCBA has told us to continue parent training for the remaining behaviors and to look into social skills or other group activities, because these would be more helpful than one-on-one adult therapy. How exciting Mm -hmm. is that? That's very good. So congratulations, Jennifer.
0: That's wonderful. I, there are different ways, I guess, to look at ending ABA. And I don't think you ever really end ABA. I think you continue doing that throughout life. But but let's say in, in order to end formal provider ABA, right? So
1: um, it
0: depends on what your initial goal was. I guess I'll start with that. So when I am, I'm working with young children My initial goal is so broad, it's so comprehensive that I have to do a whole ton of testing before I'm ready to let them go. Like one of my cutest favorite, most favorite kids that I love, love, love. Um, I just love seeing this child, he he brings me joy. Um, You know, he's pretty much done, but we just did a ton of testing on him And a couple of things came up which we would not have noticed and they had to do with like working memory and being able to shift attention fast and those types of things. And so we're continuing to do those types of activities with him, but he's a little guy, right? He started when he was very young and he's maybe seven or eight right now. So, um, but when you're dealing with someone who's a little bit older, It just really has to do with what your goal was, right? So if your goal was, let's say, to get the individual to a point where they're uh, social or focused or able to pay attention or able to do a job or able to communicate with peers or able to whatever the goal was. And when you've met that, you don't really need the professionals who are coming in and working as long as there's other sources in the environment who are going to I guess uh, support that and as long as you as a parent feel prepared to continue to support that and I'll, I'll take you outside of the world of ABA for a moment and let's talk about something else like uh, you know all children being able to independently um, get dressed and go swimming. For example, that's a skill that when they're very young, we teach them and we, you know, we even put their swim trunks or swim suit on and we make sure how we're we're there when they're swimming and we're very careful and we teach them and we hold them and all that sort of stuff. And we put all those air things on them and so on. But eventually at some point they get to a point where they know how to swim. They know how to change. They know how to interact with others and ask for help. And so you let them go to swim camp or you let them go to school and go swimming because you know, there's some, they're not going to drown. They know how to survive and swim. And there's someone there watching over them and they can be independent. Now, should a race come up where you need additional support or additional guidance or lessons or something like that then you can always go back to the professionals and say hey this new thing has come up it's not swimming anymore now it's biking and it's a whole different concept and i don't know how to do this and so they can teach you the steps and they can teach your child the steps and then you can go on and let the child uh learn and you will support them and others in your life and environment like let's say school will support this and so on and then the the behavior will be supported on an ongoing basis so that's kind of how i see it it's not like once the vb map is done everything is done not really there's a whole lot of stuff like social skills and more abstract concepts like you know being able to understand other people's perspectives being able to read inferences being able to tell jokes like very advanced cognitive programs that are not in tests like the BB map and but those are skills skills that might be necessary for your child, so <clears throat> in my opinion, we push our kids to their utmost abilities, no matter what it is, whether it is learning to communicate on an iPad or it's learning to go to college, whatever it is, uh, we have to push them, support them and help them, and ABA is just one, it's a, it's a uh, tool in your toolbox, look at it that way, it's a tool that you can use to teach those things. You can go in and out of it, you can learn all of the techniques yourself, and once in a while get guidance, and you can use uh, tools that are online, like you know books and uh, various other uh, things that you can access online to help you as
1: well. Don't I'm help. so glad you brought, I'm so glad you brought up the VB map. Cause for those of us, like I've only, I, I've i never seen the VB map. I've only heard tell of the VB map. Um, but I know my reaction at this point in my journey, when I hear VB map, cause I think of that as being all the verbal things, but not those fine tuned things that I think are so critical for success for everyone. So I will say that when I said, I'm so excited for this mom, but with an asterisk, I, my awareness, and again, as a person who does is not uh, a behavior analyst, um, mm-hmm. I know that there we talk all the time on this show about re- good quality ABA versus ABA, right? And and people, I think there are people who are doing good quality ABA, but that they stop short. And I see a lot of kiddos that get graduated out of programs that are six or seven, and they're able to converse, they're able to do whatever. But when they get to junior high, they hit the skids because all those things that you just talked about. So if you're with an ABA provider who is just doing the VB map and not doing those executive function skills and the cognitive skills that you're talking about, can you switch to another ABA provider who's going to do that higher level stuff? Or do you go to your ABA provider and say, all right, we've done the VB map, but now can we start I mean it's terrible. I don't really want you to wait till then to start working on executive function and, and perspective taking. But for this this mom, if they've done the VB map, can she switch and get that higher level stuff as well? Yeah, you definitely can. I mean, it's
0: not like it's prohibitive. You certainly can. And and you know, if skills was accessible to outdoor outside uh uh people right now, I would recommend it because that's really what you want. You just want, and and you know, like in the old days, before we had built skills, channel, I used to recommend to people to look at Tony Atwood's books. And there's a lot of stuff there that you, if you look at books and online resources, there are others who are helping you go beyond the basics of, of just language and motor. And you start to look into like very abstract things, which I will tell you guys that, You know, when I started out doing this stuff, and when I had left the UCLA program, which is the core of all of this, by the way, ABA comes from LOVAS, which comes from, ABA for autism, at least, comes from LOVAS, which is is UCLA. And when we were doing these types of things, we had no concept at that time. We were developing programs to teach language. We were developing programs to teach eye contact and, you know, compliance and, and basic skills we were not yet savvy enough. The world of like, you know, we had uh, Simon Baron Cohen's work out of Cambridge made a huge difference in the world of autism where he came and showed that individuals on the spectrum have a difficult time with perspective taking, the whole concept of theory of mind. After, and that was early nineties. And after that, we then developed thousands of other programs for our kids. So there is a lot more that you can teach. And, and you know, by the way, it doesn't even have to be really in a, a formal manner. Like your child comes across some difficult situation. I still do this with my kids and they're all uh, over adults in university, you know, and I still find, oh, this is a difficult situation. They've never been through like a breakup for instance right mm-hmm. and you help them and you guide them and you give them resources and that's what you're going to keep doing and part of doing that in a way where the child is I still do this like you know my child has a difficult day I'm all over it with support they have a strong day I'm all over it with reinforcement and get guess, guess what that's ABA what you're doing is you're rewarding the child being strong and and all that so there's there's some aspect of ABA in every everyday life that we do.
1: Absolutely. I don't I don't know uh, if, if Victoria, if you're watching, if you can write in and tell us what the name of the program. There is a separate program that some people use after ABA that just does this piece. Um, oh. Victoria, if you're watching, if you can remind me what that what the name of that program is. Um, that's available in some places as well. I also want to address one of the things that Dr. Grampiche mentioned in passing. For a long time on this program, we've we've you know referenced and recommended um, skills and IBT as as great resources for all of you. You may have noticed that we've stopped doing that, and that Dr. Grampiche just referenced that they're not taking on any new clients at this time. Um, and so I I, I want to you know, there are the people that are already your clients, uh, are still being taken care of, but in this COVID time with short staff, the decision was made to not take on any new commercial clients. Um, the professional clients and the clients that already existed are still being supported, but they're not taking new clients right now. We hope that will change in the future, but that's why we're not referencing it because it's, I don't want to be referencing something that people are like, well, I can't, can I get it right now? This this wretched COVID thing. Let's let's hope and pray that we all get out of this soon. Uh, I want to move to uh, a a question. My four-year-old is doing well with language, but he still sometimes zones out. Uh, Because of COVID, we haven't had an in-person evaluation. Could this be ADHD or is it autism? Making shifting attention tough. How to work on this? He has had a previous Zoom evaluation diagnosis of ASD. Talk about ways that COVID is making things rougher. Yeah,
0: absolutely. COVID is making things a lot tougher for us, for our kids, and, and especially when you're in the phase of trying to figure out what your child's going through and what they need. So there's a big difference between autism and ADHD, and a lot of people confuse it. It becomes a little confusing when the child with autism is very, very high functioning or has almost completed their entire educational ABA program. Because at that point, their, their needs are not as many as they were. Um, but generally speaking, when you're looking at the diagnosis of ASD, it is not just based on inattention or distractibility. Yes, ADHD and autism will have that both in common, but that's about it. Um, a, with autism, there's a lot more going on. So it's also a delay in language. Usually there's a delay in communication. That's really important. That differentiates between autism and ADHD. And there's also, as a, because of perhaps that delay in language, or communication there's also a social delay and what that means is the individual does not know how to interact does not know how to socialize with others in fact has behaviors that are kind of unusual like not looking when they're talking or those types of things so that's none of those things are present in adhd in adhd it really has more to do with The child on the surface behaves just like other children, but they're very, it's difficult for them to stay focused on something that is uh, like takes a long time or is not of interest, those types of things. And in some cases of ADHD, there's also a lot of hyperactivity. So that's basically the difference. And, you know, the bottom line is I always tell parents try not to worry too much about the diagnosis at this point um either diagnosis will help you get funding access to funding but the issue really is that when you uh, just look at what your child needs look at their symptoms as opposed to kind of the label what do they need are they falling behind on language let's teach them some more language skills what are are they falling behind on social let's teach them some social skills whatever it is that they are in need of,
1: you should be focusing on on teaching those particular skills. Dr. Grammy I'm a little worried about the phrase zoning out though. Um, like, yeah. like, do we, do we to be cautionary here And turn? Cause it, cause could it, could it, I don't, I hate to scare people, but should we make sure that we're not having absence seizures?
0: Yeah, it's of course, it's very possible. I guess it's so common for parents to say that to me, Shannon, that I, yeah. it, you know, it's like one of those things that you hear all the time. So yes, Shannon has a very good point. Um, Sometimes you just want to make sure neurologically your child is not having seizures and it is possible to have a seizure during the day and not uh, for the only uh, overt external way that others see it is zoning out. So in other words, the child is just not present. Um, That could be a a seizure. On the other hand, it could also just be the child drifting away, daydreaming, drifting away in his own thoughts just because the outside environment is either boring or difficult to understand uh, or overwhelming. Um, and I totally get that, like, right? Like if I'm in a situation where I'm not understanding the language fluently, I will zone out. If I'm in a, a situation where uh, I haven't, uh, but the the other thing also to think about with our kids is that a lot of our kids get very poor sleep and if you're not sleeping, you're going to zone out multiple times during the day. So there's so many other
1: reasons that a child could be zoning out. And it's important really to pay attention to those things. And I also want to say I'm a creative person. I zone out to get over in the part of my brain that's creative to create something, you know, to write something or whatever. So, I, you know, I, I, it, I just want to make sure that we're not, uh, that I'm not saying that it's always a bad thing, but I do think with an abundance of caution, they recommend that we get our kids a baseline um, e- is what is it, an EEG, or what is that called when they- Yeah, the electroencephalogram. Yeah, okay. it's, a,
0: it's just that uh, many of you may have already had an EEG. It's just they put electrodes on various parts of your head and measure the uh, brain waves. And that's just to be sure that absence seizures are not happening. Absence seizures basically means seizures that uh, don't have a other, other physical or motor, uh, uh, symptoms. So in other words, you know, like regular seizures, you will, uh, have overt looking like you'll shake, you'll fall down, you'll close your eyes, you'll pass out for a few minutes, that kind of stuff. With absence seizures, there's brain activity that is, uh, unusual, but it is not severe enough to, uh, it's not like a grand mal seizure where, where it will show in other ways. Right. So it can it can easily be missed. Yes. Um, but it's, it's important absolutely. to Sometimes our kids are having seizures at a night that we don't even know. It's
1: true. And a, and a lot of people recommend for our kiddos when they're younger to get a baseline EEG. And even if you don't find anything there, because there's a higher percentage of our kids that later on, will end up having a seizure or being deemed um, having epilepsy. And if you have that baseline seizure or baseline EEG, it will always help you. It's miserable. I don't think anybody wants to do it, Dr. Pichet. Um, But I was told to do it. I did not do it. One of my best friends was told to do it. She did not do the baseline and her child now has epilepsy and she wishes she had the baseline. I'm sorry that we didn't do it.
0: Yeah, it's just, people don't do it because first of all, it's uh, difficult to access providers who are gonna do it. Secondly, it's like, you know, difficult to actually, those are sleepy EGs and sleepy EGs you gotta do overnight and you have to kind of have, the child has to stay at the center. It's like a nightmare. Now I think they've, they've developed, uh systems that you can actually connect and, and be in your own home yeah. but anyway it's just and the reason to have it is because Shannon you are right seizures usually do develop if if they're going to develop they develop later and so um it is possible that a young child will not have seizures but then they will develop seizures in their teens those types of things are are possible but I do again, I want all of our viewers to realize that having seizures is is a very small percentage of our kids. It is not all that common. I don't want everybody to get scared Thank here. You. Uh, Thank zoning you. out yeah. is very common with our kids, and a lot of times honestly, it's because they don't understand what's going on, so they're just trying to keep themselves interested or you know they're daydreaming,
1: yeah. Uh, Takwa well, welcome to the show they want to know my son was diagnosed with mild autism at age of four he is nine but he does not talk is there any chance he will ever talk and if he asks, what advice can you give
0: yes Takwa. so uh, I it is possible that he will talk absolutely the question really is what have you done between four and nine Um, and it's has he had intervention have people been trying to teach him to talk Um, and if they have what methods have they been using Uh, it's never too late Uh, one of the things that people don't realize about uh, good therapy ABA is that it works no matter what age you are a lot of times people think that ABA is over if you hit a certain age and that's not the case in fact ABA, there's, there's a, I, one of the things I used to, you know, uh, our, our old friend Jonathan Tarbox used to say to me all the time was that there's uh, hundreds more published research articles showing that ABA works with adults than there are for early intervention, yet our focus has always been early intervention, and the reason is that with adults, you're looking at like individual skills, you know, like Using ABA to teach a child to do carpentry, using ABA to teach an individual to, uh, you know, uh, make a sandwich, whatever it is. But the bottom line is, yes, speaking. I've had children who were nonverbal until they started ABA, and the ABA was not started or good quality ABA was not started until they were later, you know, much later. So maybe uh, 11 or 12 or 13 or so on. So. Everything is possible, it's just a matter of what you've done. Now, if you have done a bunch of ABA and speech therapy and so on, and your child is still not speaking, then my focus would be to teach the child how to communicate non-vocally. And this becomes just as important. And of course it's up to you at this point if you want to teach the child sign language, or if you want to teach the child uh, keyboarding, typing, Uh, Because nowadays, of course, there are a lot of ways where you can just type and a a device like an iPad or an Aug device will, will speak for you. So, but communication of some type is extremely important if we want to try to avoid kind of frustration and other aberrant
1: behaviors from developing. Wonderful. Uh so uh A B has written in and said, Will you be covering ASD in adults? And it's like you read my mind, A B, because we had a question that came in on the live feature. Somebody wrote it in and said, I think I might be autistic, but I don't know for sure. I'm so exhausted and tired. And I and this this I want to make sure everybody knows we don't have this person's email, but this feels a little bit like a cry for help for me for, for to us, and I want to make sure we address that. Uh, It's sensitive. They say, I'm excited. uh, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And I don't want to hurt myself, but it seems like the only thing. The way I stim is by skin picking my scalp. And it sounds bad. I don't know. And I'm, I'm in a really horrible situation. I'm trying to cope by eating. Uh, They said that they posted this on another uh, site and that there were autistic advocate groups that were judgmental. I'm going to read into, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but they want to, they feel scared, um, to be saying their truths and they want to know, are they weak? This is their words. Am I weak? It feels wrong to be this vulnerable online because I'm scared someone will use it against me why is the world so horrible to autistics? Like the, uh, and they, they go on to talk about a bunch of different things, legals, doctors, um, and the, the diagnosis is so biased that it's hard to find others locally. Um, and in any case, they, there's a big, long uh, message here about how they feel that their thoughts are messy. That They go on to say, I don't even know how, when people ask me how I am, I don't like it because I don't even know how I am. Uh, it seems so normal to me, but the fact is that it's not to others. Um, it's just so. Um, so, in any case, uh, they bring up an episode where they went to a neighbor and asked the neighbor if their water was on because their water was off. And then later, that neighbor went to other people and called them crazy. And they said that they are considered a teen and that this woman is considered an adult. And it seems horribly horribly unfair Uh, but they want to know they said i do not deserve that i don't think my my mind will cope i i will have to forget everything though it feels like i already have i mean i will endure but how much will that matter if the pain swallows itself with other parts of my brain that i need so i this (sighs) person is hurting and i just want to hug them um but you know that may not be a thing that's helpful to them Let's keep that in mind. Uh, What would you like to say to them, Dr. Gramsci?
0: Well, first of all, if this person is listening right now, please send in some information about yourself so we can try to find resources around you and help you. Because nobody should be suffering and struggling like this. No one, I don't care what your diagnosis is, nobody should be suffering like this. And there is help. And you are right. People can be judgmental. People can be cruel. People can be, um, they just don't understand what you're going through. Um, and a lot of times, uh, it, it it is rough out there, but at the same time, there are people who care, people who can help you and groups of others who are similar to you and going through similar types of issues. And I think, when you have um, so much difficulty going on, it's really important to get care, first of all. So like to have a therapist who can understand you, for you to talk to someone, for you to be able to tell them what's going on and for them to give you ways to, to help you cope um, and to help you survive and to help you even thrive. And then I think it's also important for you to find your own tribe. And that's really important because having a group of people who, who, have, several, who have similar issues and similar difficulties, similar experiences, helps us often feel much more understood and much more uh, supported. And it gives us... Um, an, an understanding that these types of thoughts and feelings are okay. Anything you think and feel is okay. There's No, no one has the right to judge what we're, we're going through. So I think what would be best for you, and I hope you do reach out and let us know where you are, um, is if we can help you find a good therapist who understands what you're going through and who can help you, as well as a social group. Of others
1: with whom you connect, and I think those are the things that would be the most helpful. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Ramchand. And I just want to say, for for those of you who are looking for a good social group for adults, there are so many, but in COVID, it's been hard. And the one yes. that I've been recommending in COVID because it's free and it's online. So I know that wherever you are in the world, you can get to it. If you have an internet connection and if you're watching us, you must have an internet connection, at least part of the day. And so it's free. Um, at, At the Ed Asner Family Center, they do a movie chat group and now they've split into two groups because there's that many people. They're led by a wonderful person who is on the spectrum herself. She identifies as being on the spectrum, Chelsea Darnell, but there's also supports, but Chelsea is amazing. And what I love about this group is it's a social group and every week they announce at the beginning of the week what the movie or movies are that they're watching. Your assignment is to try to watch the movie if you can. You show up online in a Zoom thing totally free, but you have to register. You can't just show up. You have to register and get the code. And then everybody, the meeting starts out with everybody talking about the movie, which I love. But then there's an opportunity to ask questions and share and be a part of that tribe. It's totally free, but you have to register. You go to the edasnerfamilycenter.org, or you can go to whatever the first initials are. It's like teafc.org, I believe. Uh, So the edasnerfamilycenter.org. And then they have a lot of things there. You should take a look because... They offer counseling. I believe some of it is on Zoom. They have classes, online classes have been free in COVID. They have in-person classes, which are just amazing. They offer camps. Um, They're located in Los Angeles, but while COVID persists, they do things online and the online things are free. The Ed Asner Family Center. We've been talking about Ed um, all week because Ed just passed away a week ago, Sunday. You know, we we do want to tell people, please donate to the Ed Asner Family Center because it's these kinds of programs that are possible because people make donations. So the Ed Asner Family Center, I'm going to write it in. But I'm going to go to this next question and I'll write it in while you're answering it because we're almost out of time. Let's see if we can squeeze this in. Greetings, uh, doctor. My 10-year-old son has high-functioning autism. He is starting to realize that he is in a special day class and that he is different from the other kids. I'm worried about how this will affect his psyche and how he sees himself. Any advice would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, and it's always hard to answer those questions because they don't know the children that we're talking about. And, and when when parents say high functioning, it's such a subjective term, I think, honestly, the right thing to do is to actually have a conversation with him about autism. If he's starting to realize that he's different and um, I think it would be important to talk to him about that and just, uh, explain that everyone is different. That's number one. Number two is that everyone has strengths and weaknesses, um, and th- things they struggle with. And, and, uh, that's basically it. I mean, I see autism as, uh, just kind of a, um extension let's say of the rest of us who are kind of normal and boring (laughs) like let's look at it that way right so it's like you have skills that are all within a certain uh level and then individuals on the spectrum have skills that are much more advanced in some areas and then different in areas that that we live by so for example an individual with autism uh might not like to give eye contact okay because honestly a lot of times as long as they can uh uh, survive thrive i like to use the word thrive rather than survive and and like get along and enjoy life uh it doesn't really matter it's something that we are we do but it doesn't really matter and it's not necessary so I think it's one of the things you should have this conversation with your child and say there's absolutely nothing wrong with having this diagnosis. It means that there are certain things that you're good at, certain things that you need help with um, in order to thrive, just like everyone else. Like you look at children who are typically developing and there's one child that needs math tutoring you know, uh, do we call that a certain name? Do we make sure that for the rest of their lives they are in a different group? No, because they need tutoring on something. Um, Or another child who is really bad at sports. I mean, we're all kind of different with our strengths and weaknesses or areas of need, I'll say. And so I think it's important to have that conversation so that your son doesn't start to feel alienated. The, the thing that I, you know, people often ask me, why do you hold off on integrating kids into school until they're a little bit more skilled? And that this is exactly the reason I don't want any child to go into an environment, any child, spectrum or non-spectrum. I don't want any child Or any human being to put into be put into a situation where they feel not good enough. That is the worst thing we can do for our kids. Is to put them in a situation where they look around and they feel I am not good enough. So you need to make sure that your child feels good enough, which means that they highlight their incredible strengths as much as you possibly can and um, help them with those areas within which they struggle. And, and that's the best you can do.
1: Amen to that. I'm also a big fan of pointing out role models. Back in the day, the role model that we had for my son, it was right when, when he was being diagnosed, it was shortly after that, James Durbin was on American Idol. And we would yeah. always we go, look, his name is James too. You have that in common. Yeah. And look, and James is he sings, and so do you. And James yeah. is so talented and he does this. Oh, and James has autism. And then we would point out ways that he was not like James. Yeah. Um, and and you know, and years later he got to meet James and I like felt because I was like, you yeah. just don't have any idea what a big deal you were in yeah. our but now look at how many people have come forward and and said. You know, Elon Musk, you can be like, well, there's Elon Musk. You know, Elon Musk was on Saturday Night Live and said, people make fun of me, but how many of you have designed a car and are taking a rocket out into outer space? That's right. Thank you Elon Musk for pointing out that different is swell and okay. (laughs) Um, Parker says, Carrie Magro is a good role model. There's so many of them out there right now. So I, I would say the value of a good role model um, is, is immeasurable. We're out of time, but we just, I want to thank Dr. Grand Pichet for being here and all her, her beautiful brain and all of her wonderful heart that she brings to this. Thank you to all of you. We're back tomorrow live with, um, Bonnie Yates is going to be here, special education attorney. If you guys have school questions about legally what is okay and what isn't. Now's a good time to write them in on whatever format you're in. Write and get those questions to me so I can give them to Bonnie. And I don't want you to forget that on Friday, we're going to be here. Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allsma Jackson will be here. And also Leah Hirschfeld will be here to share with us some new research that we've asked for her to elucidate on. So, and we'll have in the news. Uh, But thank you, Dr. Graham Pichet. Much love. And we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everyone.